Business Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. A high-tech failure. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on Thanksgiving Thursday, November 23rd. Happy Thanksgiving. Here's what we have for you this hour. Israel is being forced to rethink its defenses after its billion-dollar security system was caught off guard by the Hamas attacks last month. Taylor Swift's concert tour has generated so much consumer spending that she's considered a stock market influencer. We'll explain how. More and more business owners in Sioux City, Iowa, are embracing the code for a Sioux Gateway Airport, which is S-U-X. And want to be a social media influencer? There's a camp for that. You're learning storyboarding, um, storytelling, script writing, editing, lighting, video shooting, uh, cinematography, and sort of digital skills that you can uh, use to make content. Taylor Lorenz at the Washington Post on education programs that teach kids about content creation. Well, the deadly terrorist attacks by Hamas in Israel on October 7th have cast a nation into mourning, forced a political reckoning, and are prompting a shocked reconsideration of one of Israel's greatest points of pride, its technical sophistication. That day, Israel's vaunted $1 billion security barrier on the Gaza border failed. Here's how from Daniela Cheslow, deputy tech editor at Politico. Daniela set this up. Israel considers itself a tech powerhouse. And when you look at the amount of tech that had to fail for this attack to go forward, it is a really long one. There's a $1 billion security barrier that the army built on the Gaza border just two years ago. And the former minister of defense was bragging about how strong it was. Uh, There's the Iron Dome missile defense system, and there's also pervasive Israeli surveillance. Ask any Gazan, and they'll tell you that there are often drones buzzing above their heads. Israel's also notorious for its cyber snooping. So for this to go on really under their noses is astonishing. Okay, and so um, you said it was almost like a a, a 2K versus a 5K here, right? I, I mean, explain, like, just like simple stuff, like bulldozers were used, right? Right. So it's, it's, I would use the 2G versus 5G. Um, in the Western world, we're used to 5G cellular technology. Um, in Gaza, they use 2G. Only recently, the Israelis expanded spectrum for the West Bank to have 3G internet. So that's a really small, that allows for a very low transfer of information over cellular networks. But that's not what was necessary for this attack to be successful. Hamas militants used bulldozers, as you said, to plow through the border fence. They had armed people on paragliders going over the wall. People also arrived by sea. So this was kind of setting aside the Israeli tech and going for much more old-fashioned, as one um, as one security expert told me, old-fashioned tactics. Wow. You said, too, this will send shockwaves through the defense establishment. How so? Well, I think in Washington and in Europe, Israel is seen as an expert on tech security, a key supplier of security and defense technology across the West. I go sometimes to military tech shows here in Washington, and it's almost inevitable that you'll have Israeli purveyors of counter-drone technology or other security tech. Um, It's a huge part of the tech um, economy in Tel Aviv. Um, So I think for it to fail in such a spectacular way will for sure raise a lot of questions. We're speaking with Daniela Cheslow, deputy tech editor at Politico. Her story is called Israel and the West Reckon with a High Tech Failure. What are the next challenges for Israel here? 
I think when you look at the region, on the Israeli side, the tech industry has put its attention to the response to the attack. Um, companies like Wix and Monday have said they've been transporting reservist soldiers. I spoke to a UX developer who put together a database of people who were missing, and now he's trying to help with the grim task of identifying victims. I think you should also be looking at the Gaza Strip, where so far the Israeli attack in retaliation for the Hamas onslaught has cost hundreds and hundreds of lives. The Israeli airstrikes, Israel destroyed the building that houses the Palestinian telecommunications company in Gaza. Israel's defense minister has ordered what he called a complete siege on the enclave, saying Israel would be cutting off electricity, food, water, and fuel. Of course, that's going to have a huge impact on the Internet and technology in Gaza, but also the human toll is very high, and it's only going to go higher. Boy, How about the use of social media by each side, Daniela? That is coming out as a critical part of this conflict. Um, You have the Israeli army offering live military briefings on X, that's the platform formerly known as Twitter. Hamas has also been releasing footage from its attack, some of it pretty grisly, um, showing the results of their targeting of Israeli civilian and military infrastructure. Um, We've also heard from Hamas uh, a promise to execute uh, their civilian hostages that they took from Israel um, in exchange for any uh, targeting of civilians in buildings in Gaza. And we're hearing now that Israeli parents are worrying about their children possibly seeing hostage videos on their social media apps. You touched on a little bit earlier, but you referenced um, what Hamas did both outside and inside Israel. Sure. Um, I mean, when I spoke to um, a former Israeli brigadier general, he was saying that Hamas fighters appeared to have looked at this $1 billion barrier that Israel had constructed and that's covered in radar and automated cameras. And they identified spaces on the wall where perhaps the coverage wasn't as good. And those were the spaces that they targeted um, first to, uh, to, to surge across the wall, um, sometimes with bulldozers, sometimes on motorcycles, and then to cross it and go into Israel. And they knew that a lot of the surveillance was concentrated in one military base, it appears, because one of the early targets of the attack was the Re'im military base. And the results of that are coming out today, and they're pretty shocking. There have been now we're seeing by AP the, the cost in human life so far has been more than 1,800 people between the two sides and perhaps hundreds more. This has been an attack that had a huge repercussion both in Israel and now in the coming days we're going to be seeing that in the Gaza Strip as well. Thanks, Daniela. Daniela Cheslow, Deputy Tech Editor at Politico. Coming up next, Thanksgiving inflation. Thanks for being with us and happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving shoppers are looking for deals as inflation continues to take a bite out of their Thanksgiving plans. Can businesses afford that? Here's Carl Gould, president of Seven Stage Advisors in New Jersey. Carl, what should we know? Well, look, if you're right now, uh, the challenge we have, there's a whole disruption in the retail market. Do we go e-com? Do we, you know, do we buy on Amazon? Do we do Black Friday? And you can see the retail industry is really um, competing very, very hard for foot traffic. And so if you're a retail company, for example, during the holiday season, it's not as much about your pricing. I mean, that, that plays a role in it for sure. But right now it's about foot traffic. And so Black Friday is not just Black Friday anymore. You can go on Black Friday on, Tuesday, on Thursday. You can go, you know, Thanksgiving. You can go Thanksgiving evening to a Black Friday special and black friday uh, online specials for some companies started on october 30th so yeah. you're um and um you know so it's really been a challenging time 
um, for companies to really get that foot traffic. All right. So explain the importance, too, of, of this time of year. Well, you'll, you know, UPS will, will um, ship approximately 40% of its packages for the whole year during the holiday season, as an example. And so if you, could th- if you think about that for a moment, uh, so if they're shipping that many packages, that means up to 40% of the revenue for these companies is happening during this time as well. So if you're, if you're, in, if you're in that holiday retail um, um, you know, part, of the, part of the sector, there's, your entire year is riding on this time. You know, I live in the near the Jersey Shore. Okay, seasonal companies from uh, uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day, they have to make all their money in 12 to 16 weeks. They get a little bit of what they call local summer and local spring, where yeah. it's extended a little bit. For but for the most part, they have to make all their hay during that time. And so, so you're you know you're they can't afford to have a bad season. Mm. Can't afford it. We're speaking with Carl Gould, president of Seven Stage Advisors in New Jersey. We're talking about inflation on the Thanksgiving menu. Um, what about appealing to young shoppers who tend to just see something online, maybe on a TikTok or Instagram, and, and purchase it that way? If you're a traditional retail business, how are you competing? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the good news if you're a retailer. If, um, if you're a retailer, that means you're a local influencer. You have followers, you have a Facebook page or TikTok or Instagram page. The engagement for what they call a micro-influencer, somebody with less than 1,000 followers, is three times the amount of a larger business. And so, the, um, uh, so in other words, your followers are engaged with you. It's an intimate uh, relationship that you can really rely on. And so if you put out a special right now, they're going to see it. They're going to hear about it. They're going to respond. They might not all buy, but you have three times the amount of chance that your followers will engage with your social media activity. So I would be very, very active right now. I would be sharing all of my hours if you have special hours. So for example, you might decide to have a personal shopping day or a, an exclusive shopping hour that is off peak. And you can announce that on social media. And you can say, anyone who comes an hour before the store opens, we're going to open an hour early. Here are the following things that are on sale. It's only going out to my social media following. Cool. See what I mean? Yeah. So you can, there's a there's number of things that you can do as a micro-influencer, as a local business, that the big boys just simply can't do. What would you say uh, are 2023 expectations versus last year based on your clients and such that you've talked to? Well, if um, since the uh, inflation has eased a bit, since the um, interest rates have come down almost a full point, um, you're going to see that there is a little bit of residual, you know, just because it's come down now. Prices are a little higher. You know, there are still some um, supply chain, uh, you know, issues. So I'm telling everybody now is don't wait till the last minute. Shop early. Look for discounts. Go onto websites and put in your wish list and, tr- and get the alerts and the notifications because you'll, you'll do fine getting the category of product you want for the holidays, but you might not get the exact one. Thanks, Carl. Carl Gould of Seven Stage Advisors in New Jersey. Coming up next, the Taylor Swift stock market. 
Hey, it's Gordon Deal, your personal HelloFresh holiday helper. Seriously, make your holiday festivities stand out with HelloFresh with over 45 scrumptious recipes that will impress at your party. This season, indulge in the joy of cooking made simple. HelloFresh delivers right to your door so it's convenient and saves time. And with the very specific step-by-step instructions from HelloFresh, it's easy for someone with zero kitchen skills like me to follow along. Make it the tastiest holiday season yet with HelloFresh. HelloFresh lets me ditch the store run. No stressing about running back and forth or worrying about forgetting something. Their farm-fresh and pre-portioned ingredients make cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free and use code Gordon Free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free with the code Gordon Free. Unleash the tasty seasonal flavors from America's number one meal kit. Order HelloFresh today at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free. Thanks for spending part of your Turkey Day with us. This was a year defined by fulfillment as Taylor Swift created a wave of hysteria that could be likened to the early days of Beatlemania. And with that came a wave of tour-related spending from countless Swifties, some $5 billion in total. What it's meant from this morning's Jennifer Koshenka. She's had an impact on teen girls, NFL audiences, and the movie going public. Now, superstar Taylor Swift is being credited with helping the U.S. avert a widely predicted summer recession. We get the story from Charles Passy of Market Watch. Charles, why is T. Swift's impact on the economy not totally an exaggeration? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of remarkable, but when you actually look at what happened to the stock market this year, Um, I mean, the S&P 500 hit its lowest point at March 13th, and Taylor Swift launches her tour on March 17th, and the market just keeps rising. So, you know, it's kind of like this, is it a coincidence or is it not? And, you know, when you talk to enough people, you find some real evidence that suggests it's not entirely a coincidence. I mean, First of all, there's just the sheer spending that occurred around her tour. Now, it's, it's a fraction of U.S. GDP, but, I mean, $5 billion at least was spent around her U.S. tour dates. That's not just for tickets. That's for people traveling. I mean, people went all over the country to see her shows. That's for people, you know, staying in hotels. That's for people having, you know, going out for meals while they're in town to see her shows. That's for people buying, you know, Taylor Swift-inspired clothes. So, you know, that's a a really serious chunk of money. Um, And then there were some specific companies that benefited from that shoe carnival. I mean, a shoe retailer said they got a Taylor Swift bump. It's a public company because, hey, you know, people wanted to wear boots like uh, Taylor Swift wears boots. So suddenly you had, you know, all these people buying shoes just to go to a Taylor Swift show. But I think the, the broader question is that there's kind of the direct effect. And then there's kind of the fact that Taylor Swift, in a way, served as, as I call it, a proxy for consumer mindset. I mean, she kind of became a symbol and maybe helped inspire people to say, hey, maybe things are not so bad. Maybe we can spend money. And people spent money this year. We, you know, we were so worried about uh, going into a recession, you know, people spent money on going on travel, not tailor-related travel, but all sorts of travel. People spent money on designer handbags. I mean, we called it revenge spending. And I think in some ways what, what, what Taylor Swift did was kind of she was both a proxy for it and she maybe inspired people to loosen their wallets. 
We're speaking with Charles Passy of Market Watch. Charles, your story has a, a great anecdote from a craft store owner in Seattle. Talk about that. I love this tale. So this woman runs a store that specializes in beads, you know, beads for making your own jewelry. Uh, she's done this in Seattle for years and years. It's a, you know, I would call it a modestly successful business. It's called Bead World, appropriately. Um, all of a sudden, Taylor Swift comes to town. Her entire business is upended. Why? Because uh, Taylor Swift fans love to wear what are called friendship bracelets. And those are kind of bracelets. I mean, you can buy them finished, but a lot of people like to make them. They're, they're bracelets that have little sayings like, I'm a Taylor Swift fan, or whatever whatever you want to put on them. And, um, and so she saw a 50% spike in business um, around the time of Taylor Swift coming on tour to Seattle. But, you know, here's even the funnier part about it. It continued after the tour. People discovered her, st- her store, and she said, and the Taylor Swift fans got hooked on making their bracelets. So she said, you know, back to school time was a y- another huge hit for her. So, yeah, it, and it's a very good illustration of how things kind of bubble up and spread through the economy in very unusual ways. But you also point out, which is, is just amazing, that uh, Taylor Swift in some ways has inspired a generation of female entrepreneurs of all kinds, and especially younger girls. Absolutely. I mean, even if you discount the fact that, you know, even if you say, all right, so maybe Taylor Swift didn't really move the stock market. What we do know is that she is inspiring young women in many, many ways. You know, she is, I mean, Taylor Swift is not just a great pop star and a great singer, and a great performer. She's a great business person. I mean, you know, she's kind of figured out, you know, she's re-recorded her album so she could own the, essentially the rights to her own material. I mean, she's taken on the music business in, in all sorts of ways. I mean, some people say, you know, she's the one who, who may bring uh, the whole ticketing uh, Ticketmaster, you know, she may change Ticketmaster. So you have to look at Taylor Swift as a very powerful force beyond just her music making. And I think that has been a and 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 definitely a a force for women. And I think that is definitely inspiring. I mean, it's, I think it's inspiring all all sorts of people. But I think it's especially a great message to her core base, which is tends to be younger women. That's this morning's Jennifer Koshenka with Market Watch reporter Charles Passy. Thirty minutes now after the hour on this morning. America's first news. Thanks for spending part of your Thanksgiving Thursday with us, November 23. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka, coming up this half hour. Camps for YouTubers. Also, relearning airplane etiquette. And the worst airport code that people love. We'll have that story in about 15 minutes. Well, education programs aimed at helping children gain the skills needed to become online creators are exploding. More on things like YouTube camps from Taylor Lorenz, tech columnist at The Washington Post. Taylor, what's this about? Yeah, so there's these summer programs um, all across the country. Um, I visited one in Texas um, that are basically teaching kids to, to be YouTubers. They're teaching them uh, you know, how to shoot, edit videos and make successful content on the internet. Wow. All right. So if you attend uh, what's called a creator camp in Texas, what are you learning if you're a kid? You're learning uh, storyboarding, um, storytelling, um, script writing, editing, lighting, uh, video editing, that is, uh, video shooting, uh, cinematography, and sort of digital skills um, that that you can uh, use to make content. 
Wow. I, you talked to some really enthusiastic kids at camp, I must say. They were into making money as soon as possible, it seems, so they could, uh, you know, I don't know, buy a MacBook or something like that. What's, <laughs> what, what was the general feedback from them at camp? Yeah, you know, I will say it's very entrepreneurial, uh, young generation. A lot of kids are growing up today, and they, um, you know, they grew up watching content creators, and they want to pursue that as a profession themselves. Um, I think kids of the past wanted to be famous athletes or actors. You know, this isn't too dissimilar. Um, and, yeah, a lot of kids were excited about potentially making money on YouTube, Um and, you know, a lot of them also wasn't even about the money. They just thought that going, you know, being on YouTube would make them more confident or they'd get to have new fun experiences like the YouTubers they watch. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point. Somebody made the point uh, in the story about maybe it's a help socially for them. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think a lot of kids were saying like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of nervous maybe sometime or I'm a bit shy or I have trouble, in, you know, socializing in school. But when I'm creating content... It gets me out of my shell. I can walk up and interview people on the street or I can, you know, uh, do fun sort of brave activities that they might not normally want to do. Wow. We're speaking with Taylor Lorenz, tech columnist at The Washington Post. Her piece is called Camps Teaching Kids to Be YouTubers Are Cropping Up Across the Country. Uh, What's it cost to uh, attend Creator Camp in Texas? Yeah, Creator Camp is a couple hundred dollars a week. Um, it kind of depends. You know, that's a program from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, some of the other camps are a little bit more expensive. Um, it just kind of depends on the program. And if the camp is solely dedicated to this or it's just part of it. Okay. Uh, so to that point, there are like what, arts or theater camps that are maybe incorporating some of this in there? Yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's camps focused on STEM skills, kind of tech camps. Um, they teach kids maybe coding, and, and same with uh, Creator Camp. You know, they have other tracks for like Minecraft, uh, video gaming admins, and things like that. So there's you know certain camps like that, and then as you mentioned, the theater camps, the arts camps, um, and more schools. More schools are offering this, uh, you know, courses in these types of things for undergrads and uh, college kids. Uh, what do parents say about it? For example, for the young kids who are attending uh, this camp in Texas, you looked at. Yeah, parents are really excited. I mean, they really just wanted um, their kids to pursue their passions, and I think a lot of parents, you know, felt like, look, even if my kid doesn't make it as a YouTuber, they've learned really valuable skills like video editing and, uh, you know, script writing and copywriting and creativity. And, you know, those are all valuable whether or not you become, you know, the next superstar online. Thanks, Taylor. Taylor Lorenz, tech columnist at The Washington Post. Coming up next, learning to behave again on a plane. Thanks for being with us. Whenever you fly, there seems to be Weird, petty annoyances to deal with. Etiquette experts say civility in general has taken a backslide in the past few years, but it's especially noticeable on airplanes where everyone is packed close together. Zach Wichter at USA Today has some of the little things to be mindful of that can go a long way toward making the travel experience more pleasant for everyone. Zach, give us guidance. And it's not just on airplanes. Let's be honest about this, right? People have been behaving badly everywhere all the time recently a lot of the folks who i've spoken to and even just like friends and stuff who i've talked to about this really think like during the pandemic we were locked up for so long that a lot of people forgot how to be out in public uh and so you see a lot of bad behavior everywhere but it's really especially acute on airplanes because we're all smushed in together and so it's a lot more in your face if the person next to you is like 
clipping their nails than mm. it might be if they're doing it in a park or something. Yeah, you can't get up and walk away <laughs> at 30,000 exactly. feet, right? One no. of the things you say uh, that could make things better is if you maintain the bubble. What do you mean by that? Yeah, definitely. So I spoke to some etiquette experts for this column about how to behave on airplanes. And everyone kind of said that a big part of etiquette and just behaving well in general is keeping yourself to yourself. And this is especially important on airplanes where, again, we're all packed in together. Like you have your own personal bubble uh, and you don't want to expand beyond that bubble. Everyone needs to have their personal space on planes. And you also don't want stuff puncturing the bubble of yours either. You don't want like a loud sound that someone is listening to music uh, without their headphones coming into your bubble. So it's not just physical stuff that can puncture it. It's all kinds of different things. Mm. We're speaking with Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. He's written a piece called Oh Behave, expert tips to make your flight more pleasant for everyone. Um, you kind of had that situation, right? With like a, like a bubble violation. You say like one guy had the middle seat, you're on the window or the aisle, and his, he's like jamming his foot like underneath your, under the seat in front of you. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I will admit this is probably, I did not handle this the way that the experts would have told me to handle this. <laughs> I probably did not do exactly the right thing, which was I should have asked him to just move his leg. So I was on a flight, as you said, I was sitting in the aisle seat. The guy next to me was sitting in the middle seat. He was doing the classic man spread where his legs were you know, spread wide apart and his left foot was under the seat in front of me. And I was too lazy to really confront him about it. So what I did instead was I put my leg in front of his leg. And so, you know, like my calf was touching his shin and I put my right foot in front of the seat in front of him. Oh, wow. He got the message. He moved his leg. We didn't come to fisticuffs. It worked out fine. But again, probably not the best way to handle it. I should have been less passive aggressive and just had a conversation with him. It was too early in the morning to use my words. I'm sorry. I will do better next time. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not sure which is worse, uh, something like that or uh, people who go barefoot. I know that ranks high on complaint lists. Yeah. So one thing that I thought was really interesting was one of the etiquette experts who I spoke to actually said that he thinks it's okay to take your shoes off so long as you leave your socks on and you are absolutely sure that your feet don't smell. Okay. I don't understand the people who go completely barefoot on airplanes, not only because it's like gross to look at, but also because airplanes can be kind of gross. Thanks, Zach. Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Coming up next, why Sioux City, Iowa sucks, so to speak. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle-Made bed sheets. Miracle-Made uses silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle-Made is self-cleaning, self-cooling, luxurious, eco-friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. 
Long known for unpleasant smells wafting from its now-closed stockyards, Sioux City, Iowa has always felt a bit looked down upon. Its airport code has not been a help. That's because the three-letter code for Sioux Gateway Airport, as it appears on tickets and bag tags, is S-U-X. More from John McCormick, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, who paid a visit and found out how many people actually embrace it. John, your experience. Yeah, so uh, Sioux, Sioux Gateway Airport, as it's formally known, has gone by the uh, the designation SUX for decades. Uh, it sometimes is pronounced sucks, uh, which isn't always the you know most favorable uh, branding for a town. Right. Um, so when this was designated, did people thought like this was a good idea or it would be beneficial? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, well, one thing I was not able to get to the bottom of with this story, and I, I would love to someday, but uh, back before there were so many airports, like, you know, in the 1920s and 1930s, a lot of airports went by two letters. So Los Angeles used to be just LA instead of LAX. Phoenix used to be just PH instead of PHX. And so I don't know this for a fact, and I couldn't put it in the story, and nobody locally could confirm it for me. But Sioux City might have originally been SU, and then they added an X, and it became sucks. Uh, it's it's a piece of reporting I hope to get to the bottom of someday, but I didn't for this story. Have officials there ever tried to change it? Yeah, they have uh, multiple times through the years. There was an effort in the 1980s and another one in the early 2000s. Um, the FAA apparently offered them some options, but none of them really rolled off the tongue either, and they, they decided to sort of stick with what they had. There was a guy on the airport board uh, in 2007 who said, you know what, we should just embrace this and, and kind of make it a local joke and we can use this to market the airport and people will always, you know, remember our designation, which, you know, in marketing, sometimes if people can remember your brand, it's, uh, you know, very helpful. You had some really cool examples, like uh, what, what are the businesses that have embraced it? Yeah, so that that's what sort of is the latest wrinkle in my story is that, you know, the, the other companies have started to pop up and use it in its branding. So there's a company called Poo Sucks. It's a pooper scooper service for pets. There's a company called Rent Sucks. There's they're a leasing company. Cleaning Sucks is a commercial cleaning firm. Radon Sucks helps you get uh, radon out of your home. And there's a art gallery downtown called Art Sucks, and there's also a Sucks Pride Festival each June. So this has just con continued to sort of build on itself. Um, you know, the, the area sometimes also goes by Siouxland uh, is, is another sort of name for that part of Northwest Iowa. But uh, the Sucks thing has really become uh, popular, and a lot of people are using it in, its brand, in their branding. We're speaking with John McCormick, national political reporter at the Wall Street Journal. His piece is called The City That Learned to Be Proud That It S-U-X, and that's the three-letter airport code for Sioux Gateway Airport in Iowa. Um, it, it, it's kind of weaved its way at times, at least, into uh, presidential campaigns, right? I mean, Iowa is obviously very much in the forefront for that stuff. Yeah, that, that was another reason why I wrote the story now is presidential candidates, especially Republicans, go through Sioux City a lot just because it's a very heavily Republican area. So President, former President Donald Trump flew his private jet into uh, SUX uh, a couple weeks ago for a rally in Sioux City and other candidates have gone through that airport. Um, and so, you know, everything in Iowa is, gets a little extra national attention these days with the uh, Iowa caucuses just uh, a little bit more than two months away on, on January 15th. What are the other eyebrow-raising airport codes that you came across in addition to SUX? 
Yeah, so there, there are some other kind of, uh, you know, one, um, interesting ones out there. Uh, Fresno, California goes by FAT, F-A-T. Um, there's an airport in uh, Perm, Russia that goes by P, P-E-E. Mm. Uh, uh, there's an airport in Shanghai that goes by S-I-N or SIN. And then there's one in uh, Japan's, uh, I, I think the city is pronounced Fukuna, Fukunoka, and um, they go the, by the first three letters uh, of that city's name, which is F-U-K. Thanks, John. John McCormick, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Coming up next, the nutrition of a turkey. Hey, glad you're with us. While many are familiar with the tradition of eating turkey on Thanksgiving, how much do you really know about the nutritional aspects? Fox News put together a list of things you might not know. Number one, turkey is a solid protein choice. Jamie Hickey, registered dietitian with truismfitness.com, says a single serving of turkey can provide about 24 grams of protein, which is essential for muscle growth, repair, and overall bodily functions. Number two, turkey broth is extremely healthy for your gut, bones, and adrenal glands. Number three, gravy, though, is not good for your health. A single ladle can add as much as 300 milligrams of sodium to your plate. High sodium intake, as you may know, is linked to increased blood pressure and a higher risk of heart disease. Number four, plant-based turkey substitutes aren't necessarily better for you than turkey. Meat-free foods like tofurkey and vegan meat patties are often loaded with sodium, processed oils, soy, and gluten. And number five, the way you cook your bird matters. Opting for skinless white meat and using herbs for flavoring instead of butter or salt are best. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.